that I wouldn't be teaching this retreat because uh, I was supposed to have this operation. So I was kind of looking forward to this, having this operation. And then have this long rest. It's probably better that it worked out that it happened like this. Uh, uh, rather than being done my way and then what to pay more and so on and the uh, various things that happened. Uh, and Venerable Ajahn Jakro came for a month and then Venerable Sumano and uh, it was quite. Uh, these unexpected uh, events. So life is is like this. It's, uh, as much as one would like to kind of uh, order it and uh, make it into uh, something you can always uh, control and uh, predict, its uh, nature is like this. It changes and moves and and things happen uh, that can be quite. Uh, you know, quite surprising, quite startling, and totally unexpected. In teaching the um, Dhamma, then the, of course, the emphasis is on this mindfulness so that we're we're not uh, depending upon, we're not getting addicted or dependent upon conditions being a certain way. Because uh, inevitably I found that uh, even when you spend good time with your life trying to control and, and uh, make life the way you want it, there's always something that happens that uh, goes against uh, what you wanted. And um, it can be ill health, it could be windstorms, hurricanes, uh, it could be uh, just uh, all kinds of contingencies that, that uh, one would never have expected to kind of disrupt the, uh, the plans that you've, that you've established. But with mindfulness, it not, doesn't make much difference, really, because you're, you're, you're developing awareness around the way things are rather than the way they, you would like them to be. And of course, the, the, uh, the big delusion is the sense of oneself and the views, opinions, ideas that one holds in and, uh, and this, uh, this whole uh, 
structure of that we grasp of self and you know the uh, illusions that that brings into consciousness this is eventually if we if we are developing this mindfulness we're using mindfulness we begin to see through the uh, the the uh, illusions that we create and so we are the creator of the world Lung Pa Cha used to say that he, about, he said it's, it's desire is the creator and uh, Ganha and because uh, people would ask do Buddhists believe that there's a creator of the world and of course uh, this is uh, kind of this is very kind of an important question in most religions is who created the world and uh, we have various uh, creation theories dating back to the Homeric legends and beyond that probably all kinds of ways that human beings try to describe uh, how the world was created but then in, in practical experience uh, they, we create the world and each one of us creates the world the world of the delusion the sangsara the world that we identify with and that we hold to and that we uh, are deluded by is, is our own creation so this is this is for reflection, of course. It's kind of uh, what I'm saying isn't isn't uh, to be taken uh, uh, as uh, Ajahn Sumedho's teaching, but it's it's for reflection. What is the world, and, the, and what is the world that I create? The world I produce out of ignorance, out of desire. Well, that's a very uh, that's a very important thing to know what is what is it that I create what is the way it is what is the Dhamma the way it is that I don't create but, and then what is it that I create onto the way it is so you have first you have to recognize the way it is you have the Dhamma teachings and uh, as ways of reflecting on the way it is all that is subject to rising subject to ceasing and, and the, uh, the, uh, the all dhamma is anatta there's two uh, phrases very important sape sangranita sape tama anatta So this is these these two statements are for reflection for see the impermanence and contemplate impermanence of the conditions that we're that uh, affect us the way the, the way they are the five aggregates the five khandas the the ayatanas the the getting to contemplate these things that are operating the eyes, the ears, the nose, the tongue, the body, the mind the, the body, the feelings, the, the mental formation, the perceptions, the uh, conceptions and consciousness getting to, to recognize these are we don't create these as, as they are, they, they, they operate uh, according to the, the Dhamma chart or the laws of nature and then what we create is out of ignorance, out of avicca, what is that? And so that is the what, what we create is a sense of ourself, our loves, our hates, our likes, dislikes, our fears Dhamma dana, pawa dana, vipawa dana. Desire for sense pleasures, for success, for happiness, for power, for position, for status. 
we want, we have desires to, to get rid of, to annihilate, to destroy. And so these desires we create, dhanha, upadhana, pawa, we, we, uh, with this desire we grasp, these desires, and, and then we, we become those desires. We, what we grasp, we, out of ignorance, we become like that. And so the, this whole structure of me and mine, self-view, desire, grasping, uh, greed, hatred, and delusion, uh, all of this is to be uh, contemplated and, and recognized for what it is. Like Buddhism definitely is a, is a teaching about, about how to recognize, how to see what desire is and how to let go of it. It's quite unique as a, as a, as a religious teaching, being that, that direct, just pointing to desire itself, to dunha, which we all experience, we all have these desires. And so this isn't something that uh, we're not even saying we shouldn't have them, but we, we, this, is what we, this is what we produce out of ignorance. As long as there's a vicha or not understanding the Dhamma, the truth of the way it is, then desire is the, is the kind of uh, basic delusion that we, we are constantly uh, involved with, either in sense, wanting sense pleasures or wanting things we don't have, wanting, not wanting what we have. The endless restless movement of, of it's the way we're, we're always uh, looking for something. I mean, what, what we desire today, once we get it, we then we want something else. When you're caught in desire, there's, it just seems to be insatiable. Because once, if, you, if you're a, a slave to desire, then of course you're you're, uh, it just goes on and on and on. It's, uh, you have momentary satiation, maybe, or gratification, but then it all starts up again. Best you can do is say satisfied desire, and then it it kind of uh, you feel a relief for a while, but then it all starts again. So you have to go through the endless process of having these desires, trying to gratify them, suppress them whatever, but the, it's an endless struggle because the desire itself is not, is, uh, is something that we, we don't, we haven't looked at, we don't recognize, we're merely uh, caught by it, deluded by it, taken over by the desire. And it's not like all desires are gross, just like, you know, or, or even bad, but there's wanting, isn't it? Wanting something, not wanting something. So that's why I, I keep uh, emphasizing the need to really know desire, examine, investigate it. Because we have plenty of desires to, to watch and, and uh, investigate. That's where mindfulness is. Really contemplating is this kind of feeling of wanting or not wanting something. The mood or the mental state of wanting something you don't have or not wanting something you have. Then by, by beginning to, to really recognize this, I mean, feel it, know it, really become an expert on desire, then uh, it, uh, one transcends it, one is no, no longer caught in the power of that desire, dunha. And once, if there's no dunha, if you're not grasping dunha, then there's not going to be suffering. 
but we do notice in the holy life that we all, you know, we can, we can have these desires to be good monks and nuns and, and have desires for, uh, you know, to be pure in the, in the moral uh, training and, and to be, uh, the desire to be compassionate and kind and to be uh, humble and so forth. And we, we grasp these desires and then we, we suffer. We suffer even from, from trying to, to be the best, trying to be a good person, trying to uh, practice, trying to develop and all that. We still suffer because desire and self are still operating. It's not, you're not seeing it. You're merely maybe attaching to desires to be good person, with, which you don't see. You don't even... Uh, detected that particular uh, attachment, desire and attachment. Then uh, the emptiness for anatta, nibbana, realization of Nibbana, realization of anatta. So these also don't make these into kind of great mysteries or great achievements on a personal level, because when you conceive them, then you you, you, you and, and you you exalt them and you make them into something, and you you're always expecting something and not and you're never really seeing the way things are. You just looking for something that you imagine, that you create in your mind. You notice that the, this non-grasping, non-self, uh, negation is, uh, is a realization. Uh, so that isn't from, they from, it's not a thing that one finds, but it's the, the opening up through mindfulness wisdom to, to begin to observe how things are. Because in the position we're in as a human conscious form, we can, we can observe, we can realize, we can see and know suffering, understand it, realize it, uh, recognize its causes, let go of the causes and realize uh, cessation of suffering. And then we have uh, practiced the Eightfold Path, develop the, cultivate the, the Eightfold Path as, as our way of living in this human state uh, for the uh, length of our life in this form. The, the, the problems with the religious tradition is that oftentimes its, uh, it's uh, terminologies have become sanctified or made sacred into, and, and uh, given a lot of uh, kind of, made in a kind of exalted form so that like to realize Nibbana is, in Theravada Buddhism, is, uh, is just the most fantastic ultimate realization, you know, it's just beyond anybody's ability. I mean, if you, if you, uh, you know, you take a lot of what, how people talk about realization of Nibbana is just the, the most uh, kind of difficult and uh, most exalted state. And, and so that this is, you know, the human mind does create these, these kind of images where we we take something like realization of Nibbana and make it into some absolutely fantastic you know, super state, uh, super accomplishment of a, of a special super arahant. This, this, it gets built up into the superlatives and therefore it doesn't, it doesn't uh, really uh, 
help us very much when we when we think in those terms. When we exalt words and concepts, and and uh, then in ter- and we don't know what we're doing, we're just caught in this. I mean, that's that's the ultimate. And then we we're still stuck with a view of ourselves as being someone who has all kinds of uh, inabilities or faults or weakness. So then the ultimate goal is so high, and we're so low that it, it makes it. Uh, seem impossible. This is the world that we create. We are the creators of this world uh, where Nibbana becomes so high and one is so low that they, uh, that uh, you know we think we, we can't possibly do it. But this is the this is the creation of the mind. We create these images, me, and we can create an image of Nibbana put it up high on a pedestal, so high above us that we, we can never reach it. So, but with mindfulness, we're, we're beginning to see what we're doing, observing. You know, how these things affect. Words are very powerful things. They say the highest happiness, or the, the ultimate achievement, the ultimate realization, put it in, in superlatives, then it then emotionally we, we uh, the self, the, the self that many, that, uh, that many people have, it just feels almost defeated before we even start. That's why I don't uh, just begin to observe, not don't think that, you know, to hold to the view that any old person can realize Nibbana any time, or that uh, some of you are conceited enough to think that, that you, you can realize Nibbana even though the rest can't, or that you're somehow especially gifted being that could probably realize it before anyone else can, or, or I think most people tend to feel uh, more that they, they probably can't. But in uh, Thailand, for example, the the uh, Pot Char and the teachers that I lived with were were pointing to this nibbana as the realization of non-grasping. It's nothing like a special. It's nothing like a. It's not high, a kind of a super state, but it is. It's. Uh, it's through, it's through mindfulness and reflection and awareness that we see, we, we realize when there is grasping, when there is non-grasping. Something you know directly. But you don't know it if you're somebody who's creating yourself in the world all the time because then you're, you're innocently kind of caught up into your own delusion. So you, you're you can't uh, realize nibbana through being attached to delusion. So the, the realization of nibbana is, is through letting go of the delusions of self, desire. By this investigation of dhamma, by seeing the, the grasping of desire and realizing the non-grasping, self and, and non-self, So the, this is a very direct path, and, the, and through the and, and this this kind of practice also integrates very well into daily life. You know, we've been on special retreat for since uh, January. I mean, actually, this kind of reflective meditation works very well in uh, in ordinary life also, so that we're not just. Uh, thinking that we have to have special conditions for this realization, but it, it, learning uh, you know, how to, how to you know, be mindful in daily life.
So I want to encourage you to to uh, to apply this the suffering and and the fears and desires that you have, don't the, and the obstructions and the difficulties and the challenges and all that. And, you know, have a more welcoming attitude to everything. Life, say, open your arms wide and just take on life. You know, just don't don't think, oh, I can't. Couldn't bear this. Couldn't bear that. <laughs> couldn't have it like this, and that. I couldn't, couldn't possibly endure that, and we, we become cowardly and always kind of fussy and frightened and and hesitant with life because we 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 create ourselves into very sensitive, delicate uh, creatures that that just can't cope with anything too much. Then that's why don't don't do that. Don't, don't be frightened by life. But if there is fear, then, then embrace that. Open the arms wide. Open the mind up, and see it as something to to uh, to investigate, rather than something to try to avoid. So that this path is a path for, you know, like it's a noble, it's called Noble Eightfold Path. It's a kind of nobility, isn't it? It's not noble to be a, to always trying to get out and avoid everything and, and uh, complain because life isn't, isn't the way you'd like it to be. There's nothing noble in that. That nobility is 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 this is a kind of grandness of uh, that human beings can 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 uh, develop through mindfulness and understanding things as they really are. So that the Buddhist monk, Buddhist nun, isn't a, some kind of effete twit that just frightened to to face up to anything, hiding away in a monastery. They can't cope with the rough and tumble world of London and Birmingham. We live in a in a time where the people are, you know, very very deluded. So, I mean, it's uh, there's. Uh, so many people now, and, and most of them are deluded. So you've got, you know, a whole kind of people, you know, that are in positions of power and influence uh, are uh, deluded usually. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's not, uh, one doesn't expect too much from, from that level. Because they the uh, let's say the materialism for one thing, just the the uh, the, the way that the human uh, civilization has, has evolved is, is based on so many uh, kind of false ideas and and, um, and and there's so much commitment to these false ideas, there's so much investment, to the ego and the self so connected to it that it. It does seem uh, almost hopeless sometimes to, to, uh, to when you look at the at the world and the, the the power structures and the problems that that humanity faces. Also, in just a simple community like this, isn't it? It's, it's uh, just learning how to live with each other, and we, and even though we. We have Dhamma, we have all the, all the good things supporting us. It's still an ongoing uh, challenge to, to uh, work with life and work with oneself and others in a way that is uh, skillful and, uh, and, in, and right in terms of Dhamma. Throw out that cat. 
I think one of the the the, the, uh, the biggest obstacle towards towards uh, thank you. <laughs> Biggest obstructions in in uh, community life are usually around uh, one's own pride, or uh, even because we are uh, living in, uh, we have to we affect each other, and we have a lot of, of things coming up in our minds: and position and duty, personality, abilities. All these things are. Uh, affecting our conscious experience with each other, so that there's a lot that uh, you know it's, uh, that that uh, we can easily uh, be d- overwhelmed by our own kind of views and ideas. Remember, when we come into this life, we bring in a, a, you know the conditioning of the world, the way we. We create a world in this place, create ourselves and the structures, the tradition, the, the, the meditation techniques, the, the discipline we oftentimes grasp in very worldly ways. And, and so this is, this is why, you know, don't trust your own kind of views about Dhamma Vinaya as a being, you know, really the, that you you really understand it because at first we have to deal with that we tend to interpret and see things from this uh, from a very uh, from a bias from the habits of of thinking in worldly ways. I, when you, you can see the arrogance sometimes. I remember in Thailand, Western. Monks could be so arrogant about. They think they they thought they could really understand Dhamma and Vinaya, and they oftentimes became very kind of arrogant about it. And uh, and uh, or they 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 would have strong views about Vinaya, or whether it's you need it or you don't need it, and whatnot. <laughs> and remember. Because I was at a monastery where they kept the Vinaya, the Vinaya was very much part of the practice, and you get times various monks coming, Western monks who had strong views against it. And then, then I could have strong views for it. You've got to have the Vinaya, absolutely essential, can't get along without it. And then they say, I, the Buddha never really said that. That was created after the Buddha. Why there's so, so many silly rules and and uh, all you need is the Dhamma and things like this. Well, the Buddha said, I leave you the Dhamma Vinaya and go on like this with arguments about how you see it. And, and it's, uh, but it is an exercise in, uh, in uh, attachment and views. So the, the uh, with mindfulness, sati and panya, then we we can we become aware, more and more aware of even our attachment to the to views about Dhamma Vinaya. Because you're exa- you're looking at at attach at, at upadana. Umpacha used to emphasize that word all the time, upadana or Clinging attachment, and uh, it was a word I used to hear constantly, even before I could understand Thai, because he'd use the the Pali word upa. In Thai, they say upatan. They, they take the word upadana and they say upatan, and so I hear this upatan all the time. Word.
So that's uh, that, the attachment clinging uh, is uh, is something to uh, is something we can you know when we when we are suffering when we are confused and suffering then it's always a very helpful reflection. What am I clinging to? What where is the clinging? If I'm suffering, if I'm uh, do some, if I have any any kind of suffering, a lot or a little, what there's some kind of clinging going on, ubatan, ubatana, and so you investigate, and you learn a lot just from that, just from that simple teaching, just from from uh, tracing ubadan. Upadana, what am I, what, where is the attachment? What, what am I clinging to now? And so this, this uh, helps to uh, kind of, and this we can apply in daily life. And we see that, that uh, you know, relationships with, with various members of the community and and our feelings and our opinions and so forth and the various attachments we have and ideas that we uphold and and opinions and standards and principles and all this we can be very attached to them and then we suffer from that attachment We're talking this morning of the 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 bhikkhus and is about the like attachment to uh, to techniques or ideas of purity. And this this kind of thing is uh, you know experiencing it in the Buddhist world that I've been living in for so, for a number of years. How you know you you see you know, very divisive things happening in the name of Buddhism, Buddha Dhamma. And uh, it's because because uh, people do tend to hold uh, to views about Buddhism or techniques, meditation techniques, or ideas of purity, and what the Buddha taught, and what is real Dhamma, and so forth. So that this this kind of uh, these kind of views and attachments are always divisive. Not that the, the views themselves are, are wrong or bad, it's the attachment to them, that blind attachment that, uh, that creates the suffering. So then, uh, you know, it's very, if you really, you know, if, you, if, you, if you're attached to a particular tradition or a particular teacher or a particular technique, or uh, whatever, then then that attachment is going to you know it's, it's it's going to bring you it's going to cause you suffering. Even if you're attached to the purest, best form of Buddhism, you're still going to suffer. <laughs> And in the holy life, we are dealing with very, with refinements and with, with principles and morality and standards and spiritual values. Only so, I mean, it is, uh, we can, we, you know, it's very easy for us to get attached to these. And, and then we, we become, you know, the holier than thou feeling is, is one of the big obstructions in any religious uh, path in any religion because you, you you are you are you know maybe more refined or your your moral life is impeccable or you're you're developing you pray and you meditate and you and your whole you're dedicating your life to the highest goal but attachment to that is, makes us arrogant proud and look down on others. It's easy for us to think we're somehow better than somebody else because we're celibate and we 
we we have strong, we have moral principles and we practice meditation we don't handle money and we uh, we keep the vinaya and all that kind of thing we can we can it's uh, this kind of snobbery is is quite common in the in in the strict monastery I've seen it it's, it's I've felt it. I've been to snobbish myself. I've been through it. I know the suffering of being a snob, and the uh, and feeling that I was somehow, you know, I'm a better monk than that one over there. That one has money in his yam. Disgusting. I don't. I wouldn't stoop to do anything like that. <laughs> you can get really uh, very uppity. And think think yourself was uh, better than somebody else, and then contemplating that is what is that you know when one thinks or feels like that is that peace and contentment, or is it suffering? See, so the strictness, the renunciation, the morality, the discipline. The aspiration, spiritual aspiration, these, if they're, they're not for attachment. If they're attached, then we become a kind of uh, arrogant and supercilious. So that's, that's not the holy life, that's one of the problems of, of that, that arise through attachment to refinement, isn't it? If you're, if you've got refined taste, you're, You've developed a refinement, aesthetic refinement. You have very good taste, high standards, uh, and and you've cultivated uh, very fine things in your life. And, and that, then it's easy to uh, to be to identify as being someone who's better than someone who's coarse, who goes to the pub and drinks beer and curses and watch the, watches the a football match. And we can we we become you know, being attached to refinement makes makes us proud and and look down on people who are coarse. It's not nothing against refinement, but it's attachment, isn't it? It's always the upana that is the problem. I'm not saying you shouldn't seek refinement, but in identity, in attachment, then the refinements that we might depend on cause, create a lot of suffering. Uh, people who I know who are very refined suffer a lot because they, things that, just ordinary things are so dis disturbing, it upset them too much because they live in such a, a world of, of uh, refined experience and they they get very addicted to it, and then they feel very threatened and very critical of the rest of the world. So this is in the, notice the, in the Buddha Dhamma you, you're contemplating the coarseness also, just the body itself for what it is. You're not trying to to make the some kind of ethereal form that that. Uh, and, and see it only in terms of some as a refined thing, but in its very coarseness, in its in its function, in its aging, in its sicknesses, dying, its bodily functions, its uh, in the thirty-two parts of the body. You contemplate excrement. Nothing refined about excrement. So this is this is to. To really bring attention to the what is coarse, what is gross, what is refined, to see that the conditioned world as in terms of anicca dukkanata rather than in terms of I prefer this over that, I want this, I don't want that. So if the holy life is making us uh, snobbish, and holier than thou, then we're we're using it for the wrong reason. We're we're, we're destroying 
our ourselves with it rather than helping us than say letting it lead us onward to to enlightenment. That's why Upadana is such a let's say contemplative recognition and investigation of Upadana, attachment clinging. Dandha Upadana is the just those two, you, see, you can really uh, contemplate the way you, your your own experience, the desires and attachments that we have, that we habitually are, that we're addicted to, that we're that we are strongly uh, that strongly affect us in in uh, in um, our daily life. And then it doesn't mean that we we don't have principles or standards or strictness or we're not against high principles, high standards, strictness. But then these things, these these kind of things, are then helping us. Or they're they're something that is uh, a help rather than a hindrance if we see them in the right way. Then they're, 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 we're not attached to them, but they're like then ideals are are like guides, aren't they? They're high and they're their direction. You know, the guiding star. You keep your direction to something high above you, but you also need to be aware of where you are. In all the, in how to deal with the things right in front of you, with the obstructions and difficulties that that uh, we experience in daily life. Remember feeling a lot of frustration, wanting this bliss. Like sometimes your mind just goes into this state of bliss. And one likes that so much, it seems it's just, it's just so pleasant to be there. And then you, you want it, you develop this desire to have it. And then you, you, uh, you really feel frustrated when you can't get it. Then you really, uh, you know, you, you uh, can get like very angry or feel, or, or, or feel that a life that, uh, like, like say, this cat, could, one could feel very uh, averse to this creature because, uh, say, if you're trying to uh, attain bliss and this cat walks in the room and uh, jumps on you, then, of course, you, you see it only as something that's, t- that's destroyed your happiness, getting in your way. Whereas they, in the the right mindfulness, then then uh, we take things as they come. The bliss, the pain, the frustration, the exasperation, the, uh, the peace and calm, the confusion, the restlessness, the way, the way of no preferences. Bliss, fine. Confusion, fine. Then we if, we, if we want bliss and we don't want confusion, we attach to it, we attach to, to memories of having these very blissful experiences, and then we want them again. Then we, we feel that this is getting in the way, that person or that thing or situation is not allowing us to get what we want. So that takes a it takes a this this open wide attitude to where everything belongs, isn't it? Confusion, restlessness, bliss, happiness, suffering, praise and blame, success and failure, the whole lot is is uh, is is the practice, not just 
learning to get your samadhi and and uh, just shut down and and uh, and not and see anything that gets in the way of that as an obstruction and not the you, you suffer a lot from that kind of uh, of addiction. So this evening I thought maybe we could uh, have, uh, if, if anybody, we could have maybe uh, sharing of this evening. Uh, people could uh, come forth and uh, give us uh, maybe little reflections or insights that they that have meant something to them during this uh, winter's retreat. Think that's a good idea? It's interesting to hear how, how other people have experienced this retreat. You don't have to have anything terribly wise or profound. We aren't going to say have a competition of you have to have a, a great breakthrough or something. But <laughs> well, just uh, what what uh, things that you particularly you know found helpful for your experiences that you had uh, that were that uh, you found you would would like us to know about. Yeah. I think we can have a break, and then maybe at ten o'clock, sharing. <laughs>